0: Hi, I'm Justin Hayat, and this is 36. The Lamed Vav Siddiquim is a tale built on the idea that out there in the universe, somewhere in the far corners of the world, there are 36 anonymous, really good people who hide in the shadows but step forward when we need them most. In 2020, somehow, I managed to get on a plane to Israel to find out more about these secret souls and hear their stories. This is my journey to find wonder and goodness in our once magical world. I'd heard about Uri Rosen through a friend. She told me that he's an activist. I know it's a little unfair, but activists sometimes have a negative connotation for me. The protesting, the noise, stopping me on the street to sign a petition, I get it. But just send me an email. But Within seconds of walking into Uri's spacious Jaffa apartment, it was clear he didn't ask to be an activist. He wants to be a doctor. But on his road to becoming one, he found himself in a storm. As a resident during a global pandemic, he was working 26-hour shifts. And so, in the center of this once-in-a-century battlefield, Uri decided to forge another leading the fight on behalf of Israeli medical residents across the country to end the 26-hour shift. This is my conversation with Uri Rosen. So we are in Jaffa, or Yafo, as an Israeli would call it, which is the city a little bit south of Tel Aviv. Some would call it a part of Tel Aviv. And across from me, I have one of the unsung heroes kind of of the past year. His name is Uri Rosen. He is in the last year of his residency as a doctor in family medicine here in uh, Tel Aviv. And we are so happy to have you on the podcast. Thanks for coming. Yeah, thank you. Welcome. I just want to jump right into it. Obviously, in any year, people in the medical profession are tremendously important in any society. But this year, or this past 18 months in particularly, has been a whirlwind. Tell me about kind of your experience throughout the pandemic in the front lines, and uh, we'll take it from there. The last year, year and a half, were on one hand very exceptional and weird and strange and
1: chaotic sometimes. But on the other hand, we have all kind of these... Normal anomalies and eventually and I think this is one of the saddest thing I think we kind of Went back to normal and we had a joke among us the residents that We we, we used to say this like a year ago when we we were still between the first and the second wave and and the whole country was in this um, crazy time we said that well now people are clapping their hands for us and Soon everything would be back to normal and patients would go back to hitting and beating and cursing doctors so Now we are back to normal. People went back to doing it. Kids are driving against in the wrong direction again, and we meet them in the pediatric ER. So we are kind of back to normal. But yes, it was a
0: chaotic time. Wow. As I'm sure you know, in American uh, television, the life of a resident has kind of been popularized by Grey's Anatomy and shows like this. What's it like to be a resident in a hospital in Israel in non-COVID times?
1: So I want to give you the bare truth, because I, I believe in saying the truth, and I think this is what's interesting for people. We are a funny nation, and by funny, I mean strange, not necessarily a comedy. On one hand, Israel is a very, very modern state, of course, it's a startup nation, etc. On the other hand, we have between 30 to 40% of population in Israel living in a very uneducated, very down conditions, not very... Available to all kind of resources, and I think this also this very specific kind of imbalance also reflects in the medical system. So on one hand, we have a very good public medical system, public health system. On the other hand, the residencies have a lot of big problems, namely, just to f- to count few of them. Residencies in Israel are very long in surgical professions like general surgery OB OBGY. The residencies are very long, usually six years. In Europe, there would be four years. And this is not because Israeli surgeons are better surgeons. You can ask all of them, they would say, no, we're not. It's because we are used in all kind of ways which are not efficient. So I'll try to, make, to put it in a bit more general term. I think usually the residencies in Israel are very, very tough. I can make it very simple, but saying that probably almost all Israeli residents who work in a hospital work way more than 300 hours a month. So if you would count that every night shift that we have is always 26 hours because we work from 8 or maybe 7 o'clock a.m. all through the day and to the next day and we finish only around 10 a.m. the next day, so 26 hours. And let's say that you work in a hard department and you're doing 8 like this in a month and also you're coming almost every Friday to do like a morning round, which in the morning is, of course, from 7 till 1 or 2. Tov. Yeah, Bokertov, boom. It's 1 o'clock Friday. You lost your Friday. So then, like, I can just think of three of my friends who usually eat dinner here, like Friday dinners here. One of them is an orthopedic surgeon, the other one is a gynecologist, and the third one is a general surgeon.
0: Great place to choke on a, like, chicken.
1: Yeah. Really <laughs> <laughs> <a> nice place. <laughs> or break a leg. Yeah. Definitely. So all of them actually walk much more than 3... 100 hours a month. So this is how a residency looks like just to start with. I can't even fathom. And it's stupid. You know why Why it's stupid? Because in a residency, you're supposed to learn. You see all those very thick books over there? The yellow one that says pediatrics, the, the other one that says the primary care medicine. So you have lots of things that you need to learn. And if you're a surgeon, you have lots of time to work in the surgery room, in the OR, in the uh, uh, operation room, just to learn from your... So you're supposed to learn at that time. Uh, when you work 26 hours in a row, and of course you made a few mistakes during the night, in the morning you come into your car, and you get into the car and you try to drive home. And people do mistakes on the road as well. We know of a... Uh, uh, we had an ENT surgeon, resident from Rambam in the north, who went home after his residency and actually ran over two kids mm-hmm. and killed them. Two of my classmates are actually Air Force pilots. Right. Both of them uh, fly helicopters. They would never
0: be allowed to to fly 26-hour
1: shifts. No, not at all. You you, you have to sleep. After 12 hours, you have by command sleep, and the Air Force is keeping this very, very strictly. And now I was also working, while I was a student, I was working as an educational trip guide, okay, and as a supervisor. So when you have your bus drivers, after 12 hours, They turn off the buses? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It happened... I'm not going anywhere. You no. can scream and shout. He's not going anywhere after 12 hours.
0: A few thousand
1: shekels, maybe, will go somewhere. No, no, <laughs> no, they're very afraid. The, uh, no, it happened to once I was stuck with four buses full of high school kids because I miscalculated the right. hours, and the driver would not go a centimeter more because he was afraid of the police and he didn't want to break the law. But with medicine, when I'm doing calculations of doses, I can be working 26 hours oh. there. So this is stupid. We also have a big survey that was done by the the bad guys. The bad guys are the guys from the National Health Association who are objecting the shortening of the
0: shifts. So this is like a fight, like this is a full-on fight.
1: This is an absolutely full-on fight between the old generations professors who believe that you should operate 40 and 50 hours in a row that would call you a a wussy, all these kind of derogatory terms that maybe a staff sergeant would use for his rookies and they actually do it to their residents. They would call these terms to guys who are 30 or 40 years old and they're practicing because they think that working 26 hours makes sense. All around the world, other than a few anecdotes in the States, in europe they stopped doing 26 hours shifts 20 years ago so this has moved on personally i think it's terrible i stopped uh, so because i'm a family physician i had two years out of my four years of residency that i worked in a hospital and i did night shifts you're all alone literally all alone taking care of 35 or 40 or 42 old sick patients they're not funny they're not healthy kids you know uh, and even if if i was a pediatrician uh, there would be sick kids, of course, that's why they're in the hospital. So yeah. you're all alone with great responsibility, very tired, making decisions which are practically life and death. And I think in TV, it looks so nice and people go and have fun and the nurses look nice and everyone flirting with... No, it's it's
0: bloody terrible. I think it's it's kind of a foil for this battle that's kind of unraveling in Israel, which is the old guard and the new guard. And I think you see it in all aspects of society. There are certain institutions that have a bureaucracy or that have a way of doing things that no politician, whether at any level, is ever going to change or is ever going to impact. I think we have to demand our
1: leaders to do their job and do reforms. I don't accept this point of view. And this is one of the things that, that I hear around, not in the medical field, actually, but from Israelis. Israelis don't expect high of their government I think this is terrible. You don't expect politicians to do any reforms. And I was saying that this is mediocre.
0: Big structures and bureaucracies exist. How can they change to meet that needs that they were mandated to fulfill?
1: So so I think here there, there are a few lessons that you can learn about Israel as a nation, is a as a state, which are important. So just like you said, there is the old generation and the new generation. You can see this in a few very different areas. So let's say in the nemalim, in the big ports, in the seaports, of course, you have what's called first-generation workers, second-generation workers, which are in the middle, and then you have the contractors' workers, which are by far down the the ladder, yeah, okay? So the first-generation, they have really nice salaries, really nice uh, social conditions and terms. The second-generation are, like, in the middle. They are from the 80s and the 90s. And the contractor workers, they work for terrible salaries, they have not good pensions, not good salary, not not good social condition, nothing. This model has been replicated into many fields. As a medical student in my second and third year, I was volunteering a lot of my time with the contractors, workers, which were cleaning ladies. or the, I was volunteering with the cleaning ladies of Ben Gurion University, which are, of course, contractor workers. They are not Hired by the university itself, by, by a contractor. All of them, most of them, speak only Russian or sometimes Russian and uh, maybe the indigenous language of Ethiopia. Yeah. And they are being exploited all the time, being paid way less than they should have, exploited in all kinds of bad practices. And these are women who clean the university every day. So I think the first time that I became like a real activist was when I was volunteering with them. And this was so annoying because, I mean, you can pick at so many other people who have better strength of fighting back. But these women were poor, uneducated. They didn't speak the bloody language. They could do any right. kind of foolish trick to them and take from down from the wages, which were already low anyway. To begin with, yeah. Yeah, to begin with. So I think this... This was the moment
0: where your brain kind of said, yeah, I'm going to be a doctor, but that's just not the end of my story. I think
1: uh, this is when I said that, yes, I'm going to be a doctor, but I have wider and bigger responsibilities. And it's just something that doesn't let you stay numb. And so I think you can... We're starting to talk about Israel in the bigger term, in the bigger perspective, and about older generation and, and younger generation. So you can see this, different
0: social mechanisms everywhere. Paint us a picture because I think Israel has been spoken about so much over the past 18 months. So I think if you ask me
1: how would the pandemic went here? So yes, I think, again, I, I, I'm not a believer. And we did some huge, fatal mistakes. And eventually we definitely got saved by the bell with the vaccines because otherwise, in the way that things were we run, we probably would have a fourth and a fifth. Race. At one
0: time, Israel had the highest uh, infection rate per capita of any country in the world. Yes, but I think, you, yeah,
1: but I think you know about all these huge mischiefs and, and how how the ultra-orthodox acted and the huge lack of leadership that we had and all these members of parliaments who broke the laws themselves and then get caught and didn't admit. You know all, all about that. If you ask me for my like inner perspective, I can try and give you some of it. So to start with, we start, we, we came to the COVID nineteen crisis, very tired. As a system, we came as an exhausted system. We didn't come with big reserves. We're not Italy or Germany or Switzerland or Austria or Belgium who actually believe in public service. We came very frustrated and, ex- and specifically exhausted because of the right wing a point of running things, things economically. Okay? So the healthcare system in Israel is running all the time in 120, 130 percent Load or uh, capacity. Uh, if you come to, it's really funny because Ehud Barak in 1999, so that's 22 years ago, promised that he would take care of the lady in the corridor. You've heard of this thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's because in the winter, all the internal medicine wards are overspilling with patients, and all of them are around 130 or 140 percent capacity. I would say this again: it, you have you're supposed to have 38, maybe 40 patients in an internal medicine ward, and in the wintertime, you would have anything from 48 to 52, okay? So this has been going on for 22 years. The fact, the very simple fact is that we arrived on this crisis exhausted, with no reserves, with no residents, all the time somebody is missing, and this is how we we approached I would give a very simple example. So, in the one that I was working in in Wolfson Medical Center, which is a very good medical center, to my opinion, we're allegedly uh, nine residents. Nine, not twelve. Twelve is what you have in the big and rich centers like Sheba, which is yeah. like the, the national one, and Soroski in Tel Aviv. Only nine. Okay. Then, out of these nine, one is doing officer's course. The other one is having a um, maternity leave. Um, One is actually, like myself, he's a family physician, so he's there only for a few months. The other two are studying for their phase A or phase B, which are the huge exams of the residency. The two other guys are doing kind of rotations. One is doing a rotation in the cardiac ICU and the other one in the pulmonology ICU. So eventually, you have only three guys running the whole show instead of 12. Now, this is not a surprise this has been going on for more than 20 years. And this is why now I'm getting upset because nothing here, nothing is surprising. Everybody knows this and this has been happening for more than 20 years. So when I'm saying that we are working in the capacity of 120, 130% all the time and with no reserves, that's what I mean. And in the COVID, when they closed the kindergartens, so even these two last residents didn't have a solution for their kids. The state didn't care, so they couldn't come to work.
0: And so where does the fight to get rid of the 26-hour work day, where does it stand now, and where do you think it's going, coming out of, God willing, the pandemic? So, so
1: this is a question that I actually have <laughs> been asked a lot, usually in Friday dinners when I, like, the time that I least want to talk about it. But I try to summarize because this is a campaign, and it happens in, like, seven different planes. So it's a political campaign, it's a lobbying, and also it happens in the court. It's also a workers' campaign, because we we try to sign more and more and more residents to our organization. So it happens in like six or seven planes. So I'm trying to give you like a concise answer. It's going much better than before. We actually managed to kind of move the ship, and I think now everybody, including these old guys who are very stubborn, even they... Everyone now are talking about the 26-hour shifts, about the huge damage to the patients and to the doctors, including most of the senior doctors. Like, we can see that only the very, very, very stubborn old guys are still opposing it. We can see that the politicians are saying it. You want all parties to get behind this. I want this to finish. I don't care. I, I'm a doctor. Yeah. But if you're asking me like as an activist, so I think, I think this is a very, very, very simple question. This has to be stopped, not for me. For my patients who are everyone in this country, I mean, everyone except for the very, very, very rich people who have like very private care. But no, even they, like even if you're any billionaire, when your kid is sick, you go to pediatric ER. So this is everyone's fight. It's not mine. This is why it's so frustrating.
0: How do you compartmentalize your role as a doctor and your role as an activist? And what is the relationship between the two?
1: So I think for me, it's relatively easy. Because as a family physician, I'm kind of like, I'm, I'm not part of the game, right? So my boss in the HMO, the healthcare uh, provider, he, he's okay with me speaking or he doesn't care, I don't know. Uh, and my boss at the hospital, I, I never said anything bad about the hospital because the hospital is not the problem, but the politicians. So mainly just because of my specific constellation, there's nobody to bully me because I'm being lent from the HMO to the hospital and so I can speak freely. But most of my friends who actually work in the same department for four or six years, if they would speak up, they would be bullied and harassed. So this is one point. On the other end, and this is a question, it's a good question, why the hell does the only guy who went on the media to talk is a family doctor, not a surgeon, not an obstetrician, not an internalist? How come? And the reason is fear. Is basically simply fear. Doctors in Israel, I have no idea what happens in Europe. Even though though they are like, as we said before, higher educated, higher society level, etc., they are afraid. They're afraid of being bullied by their bosses. So the reason that one of the reasons that it's so hard to make this Huge battle is that doctors in Israel are bullied and are afraid to speak, and that's why you have a family physician who does only two shifts, and not only does only two years, and not six years of shifts. Ah, uh,
0: because the other ones, I mean, they're they're in it. I mean, they They're afraid. They have six more years.
1: Yes, and and, they, and their boss doesn't like it. Especially in the surgical field, they would use all these terms that I used before, that you would use to your rookies as a staff sergeant, and they would bully you. So this is one of the reasons why it's very hard to run this huge campaign. This is fighting windmills. You, you are fighting against people who are old, stubborn, uh, small-minded, narrow-minded, you're very young, and they can very easily do this movement with their hands. Say, oh, you're just young. You don't know anything.
0: that drive you crazy?
1: Uh, I think w- when people speak in cliches and when they speak, like, disconnectedly, yeah, yeah. You know, I'll give you a good example. You know what? what's a piece when somebody today have a heart attack? Of course, it's been catheterized. Right? Yeah. It's got a primary coronary yeah. intervention. So the technology to do this intervention is, has been around only since 2002. Okay, So in the year 2000, when somebody had an MI, a myocardial infarction, you know what would we do with him? Nothing. He would get aspirin and sleep in the cardiac uh, department for like two or three weeks. Nothing. So if you compare the night shift of a cardiologist resident 20 years ago, not 40. In the year 2000, when I was almost uh, going to the army and with a cardiologist resident today, who does three or four or five uh, categorizations a night and doesn't sleep at all, it's a completely different story. If you compare the number of diagnoses that a patient had in 2000 and in 2021, it's three times more. The number of medications, twice to three times. So in 2000, everything was much easier actually for the residents who are today like dinosaurs, okay? In many cases, you just didn't have a treatment. They had way less medications, way less diseases. People just died younger and with less diseases. And so today, the residents have a much harder time. So you were asking me if I'm mad when somebody does didn't a No, I'm just been driving crazy because he forgot what it was like and how hard it is now.
0: One final question. Usually, we ask for a, a, a line from the Talmud that's interesting to you or, or the Torah. But because we're in Tel Aviv, you have a song? <laughs> so the first part is
1: by Rambam, by Maimonides. 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 Oh, friend of the show. Good guy. He's a good guy. Very modest. So the first part is Shav'atanim atatishma Ze'akat hadal tatil Okay. And the other part, which I'm not sure who actually wrote, is Metzil ani. Mechazak Mimeno, the one who saves the poor one from, from somebody who's stronger than him. And I think uh, I don't want to finish in a pessimistic tone, but it just we have so many poor people, like those cleaning ladies from Ben University, so many poor people who are being robbed of their very little money by people who are so stronger. And I think as a nation, we have unfortunately a very long way to walk and make lots of justice with doctors and with much weaker person like those cleaning ladies. But I wish, I hope that we are going on a new road and that we would have better percentages of dealing
0: with injustice with God's help. Thank you so much for joining us. It was uh, really a pleasure. And we hope that your days are filled with health, meaning, and shorter work hours. <laughs> no
1: more f- 300 hours a month.
0: People like Uri fascinate me. They're obviously really smart, smart enough to know that they'll likely fail, certain that they'll make enemies, and destined to be known as that guy, for better or worse. But I don't think Uri cares, and I connect with that. I admire it, and I try to emulate it. Months later, I read a headline. By 2025, all residents, interns, and students in Israel will work 18-hour shifts. Did Uri win? Is Uri satisfied? Or is he just getting started? Some stories don't end with a headline. They begin there. I wonder when I'll see him again, in a headline, at a Shabbat dinner, or in an interview. He'll be hard to catch. I think he likes that. And I think our world needs that. Thanks for joining me on 36. This podcast is hosted by me, Justin Hayat. Our managing producer is Sarah Shemla. Our executive producer is Attila Semfalvi, and our editor is Robert Scarmuccia. This is a production of Soul Shop and sponsored by B'nai Zayn. Please rate and review this podcast in your podcast app of choice and share it with your friends, your butcher and your shadchan. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you again soon.